You've tuned in to a special edition of the Roundtable Podcast. 20 Minutes with David Annandale. Alchemists, I'm Dave Robison. And I'm Jenny Melzer. And you've tuned in to a very special edition of the Roundtable Podcast, 20 Minutes With. 20 Minutes With is the chance for us to sit down with some amazing authors and discuss their craft so we can improve our own. Absolutely, because we're all about the improvement of our craft here at the Roundtable. Uh, uh, dear friends, it is my genuine pleasure to have sitting beside me here, as you heard earlier, Jenny Melzer. Uh, uh, and for those of you, Jenny, just take, take a quick moment and introduce all of the awesomeness that you do in 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 one paragraph or less. Is that even possible? No. <laughs> okay, take two. Take two. Real no, I'm I'm just an author and um, a freelance editor, and that's about it. That's about it. And and that's, dear friends, that's a lot of stuff, though. That is a lot of stuff. And <laughs> friends, stay tuned because at the end of the episode, I'll make sure that uh, uh, Jenny gets a chance to 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 pimp host stuff uh, so that you can find out all the awesomeness that she has out there. But for now, we have an awesome guest host waiting in the wings. And Jenny, let, let me introduce you to, to this week's 20 Minutes with guest host. Uh, and back, back in, in 2012, when, when the RTP was just another upstart podcast in the vast sea of the potosphere, our guest host was one of the very first authors to actually retweet us on Twitter. <laughs> Which that's, is that a fact? It is absolutely a fact, and and that was very cool for me. And so, as you might imagine, th- this this jumped out at me, and it got me wondering who this individual was and what kind of person they were. So, after exploring his works, tales bearing titles like "Chains of Golgotha," "The Damnation of Pythos," "Herald of the Plague God," "Maledictus," and "The Tribute of Flesh." I concluded, as I'm sure you all have as well, that clearly this guy is a romantic, a, a nurturing spirit who revels in operatic flights of creative fancy and a deep reverence for the pioneers who shaped the storyteller's craft. Okay, wait, you you might not see that connection based on that. So hold on, let me let me let me just go back a bit. Um, as with so many of our previous avatars of writerly awesomeness, uh, our guest host has immersed himself in the storyteller's craft since his first cogent thoughts began cutting brain grooves of retrievable data in his cerebral cortex. His bedtime story repertoire was comprised of Norse mythology, the Narnia books, and Tolkien. So it should come as no surprise that he has a flair for the epic and the grand. Now, included in the roster of our guest host's childhood idols was George Méliès, the French filmmaker from the early 20th century who created marvelous and fantastical filmscapes, including the iconic A Trip to the Moon, featuring that archetypal shot of the moon's face impaled by the bullet-like rocket ship. So, already we have in his background epic sagas, fantastical tales, and film deeply rooted in our young guest host's psyche. So, when does he start writing? At the age of six. 
He made his first attempt at crafting his own tale in an adventure inspired by a creature encountered in the French translation of an Adam Strange comic. Now, while this first effort remains sadly incomplete, it was the spark that kindled the blaze. And our guest host has, from that moment, been pursuing the beast in all its many forms, both human and inhuman. He began pursuing publication in his teens, but didn't see his first publication until around 20. The first paid appearance of his words in print was in 1989 in a nonfiction article for the comic book magazine Amazing Heroes, an essay tracing the history of Godzilla's appearance in comics. His first paid fiction publication was in 1991 for the short story Dismemberment. And it appeared in an issue of Prairie Fire, and our guest host still holds a very slender hope that someday it will be reprinted in some future Chicken Soup anthology. Our <laughs> our guest host uh, had a taste for horror, clearly. Uh, but sadly, the horror market imploded in the 1990s, leaving him with a stack of unsellable manuscripts. Now, fortunately, he had been reading a lot of thrillers at the time and also had a love for disaster movies. Now, these tastes combined into the explosive genesis of Jen Blaylock, rogue warrior, a character who would ultimately star in three novels, Crown Fire, Cornucopia, and The Valedictorians, and a very cool bit of flash fiction that recently appeared on our guest host's website. Now, there was a lot of writing going on in our guest host's life at this point. He wrote a play for the Edmonton Fringe Festival in 1998. Now, how good was this play, you might ask? Well, at the climax of one performance, a woman gasped, cried out, Oh, no! and covered her eyes. Now, as a veteran of the live theater experience, I can tell you this is no small feat to accomplish. Uh, and along the way, he also secured his Ph.D., writing his thesis on horror literature and film. Now, around 2002, he started teaching at the University of Manitoba in Winnipeg, wearing a neon green biking helmet as he rode his bike to work. Now... While I can't tell you if the helmet still exists, I can say he continues to teach film, literature, and creative writing, receiving accolades from his students. From most of his students. From the smart students, he receives accolades. Uh, and then, in the fall of 2010, the black tentacled beast of destiny writhed as the stars fell into hellish alignment. Black Library, the literary arm of the Warhammer 40K Miniatures Gaming Universe, opened a narrow submission window for stories about four specific Chaos Space Marines for the Treacheries of the Space Marines anthology. Now, Understand that the canon of the Black Library is fraught with all the things that trigger an endorphin rush in our guest host's brain. Sci-fi, horror, war, all of that. And he had already been drinking deeply from the dark currents that flowed from that heart of darkness. So he perused the characters available to him and crafted a pitch for a tale called The Carrion Anthem. 
A few months later, the die was cast, a fateful role that has spawned literally dozens of grim epic tales spawned from our guest host's pen. His work has appeared in numerous anthologies, including Ragnarok Publications' recent Kaiju Rising, Age of Monsters. A few years ago, he published the novel Gethsemane Hall, a chilling homage, with a twist, to the iconic haunted house tales and movies of his youth. A youth that he continues to revere with cherished memories of pounding away on his father's typewriter and later on his own writing machines. No matter how brutal the craft gets, when he's in the writerly groove, our guest host reconnects with his younger self, reveling in the joy of imaginative creation. And now, dear friends, he's here to share some of that joy with us. So please welcome all the way from Winnipeg, Manitoba, our guest host for the next 20-ish minutes. David Annandale. David, thank you so very much for taking time from from crafting tales of chaos and and gods and mayhem to to, to share 20 or so minutes of conversation. We appreciate it, sir. Oh, thanks for having me and for that incredible introduction. <laughs> You're very welcome. Was 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 it fairly accurate? Were there any egregious errors that needed? It was a little bit spooky, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> Good. If you're not a little creeped out, I haven't done my job. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, let's get into this then. I don't want to waste uh, any any more time. Uh, uh, let's get down to our 20 minutes with David Annandale. I'm going to set the timer here. We'll, of course, ignore it, but <laughs> we have to observe the forms anyway. Um, David, in one of the articles that I saw on uh, uh, SF Signal, uh, I believe it was, you had this wonderful dissertation about how horror is not a genre. And and that was entirely too short a piece. And I was wondering if, if you could wax rhapsodic a little more and, and articulate uh, to our listeners, what do you mean by the fact that even though I can walk into Barnes & Noble and there's a section that says horror, we're not really dealing with a genre? Yeah, that was actually uh, the the core of my of my thesis, and uh, I mean the, the the term that I used there to describe horror uh, was one that I I drew from uh, Gilles Deleuze and Félix Guattari, uh, the the idea of horror as a rhizome. Uh, but uh, I suppose another way of putting it is imagine it almost as a kind of parasite uh, that. Or that, that, or at least, it has, can have a parasitic relationship to other genres. Uh, I regard horror as the the cluster of tactics and strategies that set about to create the affect of horror uh, in the the reader, the viewer, the listener, the player, uh, in whatever medium we're we're talking about. Okay. And this can take, and this can show up in uh, in any uh, in any genre that uh, that it seeks to parasitize, right? So uh, there's no, for instance, if you hear you encounter a uh, disagreement over whether Alien is science fiction or horror, I, that's like arguing whether the sun is yellow or round. <laughs> uh, it, the, the film is is both, uh, but it is, uh, I guess, what what we would call a horror novel a horror film is one where the those tactics have uh are, are so important now that the primary function of that piece is to frighten the uh its audience okay so we're dealing ultimately with with the, the genres as as we understand them science fiction even literary fiction romance whatever and then the the horrific aspects the the tactics that the writer employs then infuses that core genre with a horrific overtone well yes 
to a degree. I mean, it's not exclusively that, right? I mean, we can point to works that are, we say they are horror, right? Uh, so uh, The Shining, <clears throat> we don't really regard it as anything else other than mm -hmm. uh, a, a horror novel. Um, so it, it does have its recognizable form, but it, whenever you try to describe it in terms of purely, uh, I guess, in, in genre uh, terms, it, it becomes very difficult because though we can point to the birth of horror fiction in, uh, with, say, the Castle of Otranto in, in 1764 uh, the, and, and the arrival of the Gothic novel, though we can see elements of the Gothic still showing up in, well, in something like The Shining, which bounces off uh, the Gothic, the, the form is mutated to the point that, uh, that most horror fiction today barely resembles in, uh, in terms of characters and setting and so forth uh, the, uh, the works then. And the, the themes that disturbed an audience at one time uh, will change o over time, depending on socioeconomic, political uh, contexts. Uh, while there may be, there are certainly some things that, uh, that also seem to transcend uh, time, but the, the works evolve. So, uh, I mean, whenever I've seen attempts to, say, define it as, uh, say, it has to have a, a supernatural component. Well, okay, so we leave out Psycho then? Right. Uh, right. I remember reading one, um, one study that, uh, by its definition, it excluded Psycho and the Fly, but included the brother from another planet. Oh, damn struck me as lacking. That, that is a flawed definition, by yeah. all means. Or, or another which attempted to uh, reduce all horror to tales of incest, which included Godzilla. So again, uh, <laughs> the, the shrink-to-fit method of, uh, uh, of data to theory uh, uh, bothered me. So again, I, I see it as, as, a, as a bundle of tactics that, uh, that seek to, to create fear in, in the viewer that we can maybe point to a, a, a genre-like core, but that we can also see it uh, using other forms to its own benefit. So something like Seven mm. looks like a buddy cop thriller, but is blown up from the inside by a horror movie. Right. right? And by the end, you realize, okay, it's not one of those. Where is this city? It doesn't exist. Uh, it is, we, it, it, but it's using our familiarity with another form to disturb us, to take it apart, to uh, uh, violate all of our expectations and plunges into the abyss. Violate is a good word. That's that. that I've only seen that movie once, and I will never watch it again. <laughs> Holy crap! Um, and and you know, discussing horror as a tactic. Now, uh, Gethsemane Hall is 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 clearly uh, working that vibe, and I know some of your some of your Black Library works uh, leverages that. What are you, what are your favorite horror tactics as you as you ply that craft? Oof, that's a, a really good question. It, it it depends on the nature of the story, right? Uh, okay. Or what the, or what the story demands. So uh, there may be some instances where uh, uh, I'm going to go the whole hog in 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 uh, trying to you know throw the most uh, revoltingly uh, gory elements at, at the reader. In other instances, I'm going to hold back and and. Uh, prefer to go with suggestion, so it's it's the demands of the story, what what you are trying to uh, trigger in the reader, and um, and bear in mind of you know what the consequences of that are going to be uh, for the the experience of the story. Uh, there are are stories that will be that will be hopelessly uh, demolished by excessive gore or or. Um, and anything that is too graphic. In other instances, that's going to be the right uh, strategy. So, 
again, it, it depends on the uh, on on the context. I obviously do have a uh, a fondness for the the cosmic horror, uh, to use Lovecraft's term, uh, the, uh, the, the pushing the the idea of a uh, an, an unknowably hostile universe. Right, right, which you leverage beautifully in your in your Black Library tales, uh, many many times. Thank you. I'm actually really interested in what he was saying um, when you were talking about his dissertation about horror being a parasite rather than a genre unto itself. Um, am, am I correct? Um, in in a sense, I I, I guess I um uh, I I'd say it it is it is a parasite with regards to other genres. Now, right. admittedly. And of course, any kind of genre discussion starts getting tricky, right? Because as soon as you start trying to establish boundaries, then it gets all fuzzy, right? We can point to uh, works at the core or something. Okay, yeah, that's this and that's no problem. But as soon as you get to the edges, it's, uh, right? It's so like quantum physics. Yeah, so it, it it's... It's all it's dangerous ground, and uh, I mean, I've I've been amused to see some recent dis- discussions in science fiction start to agonize over whether it's a genre. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, welcome to the uh, the club on that one. Uh, but um, so yeah, I, I, I it. It has that, that, that parasitic quality as it, um, with regards to other genres, if we want to use that term. Uh, but it also has its has its own identity. So I, I, guess, I guess a combination of a, a parasite, but also a, a, a cluster of narrative strategies designed to trigger fear. I really like the idea of it, you know, thinking of it as a parasite, because when you do merge it with other genres, it does really overtake, like what you referenced, Alien. Um in terms of being like, is it science fiction or is it horror? And when you latch horror onto it, it really does overtake that and it becomes a very horrific experience and yet it's science fiction. So I, I thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Jenny, let me ask you just real quick. And yes, this is David's 20 minutes, but I, I just, as an editor, Jenny, I'm, I'm curious, have you ever edited a, a horror story and and can you uh, affirm uh, David's perspectives on that? I did recently just work on um, a zombie novel that's going to be coming out this this month actually and it was um, very psychological um, it was very social hmm. and you could see where the author had kind of stepped back and paid attention to the people and their situation and the psychology of what was going on. And then when you went and compared it to the moments where they're in these big scenes with zombies and they're overrun and they're fighting and there's all this gore and violence. I mean, it was just, she did a really good job weaving the two together, but they were two separate situations feeding off of each other all through this novel. Interesting. We'll be back with more of our conversation with David Annandale after this brief promotional break. If you're looking for a podcast that caters to both readers and writers, Tail Chasing is the place to be. Readers, get a behind-the-scenes peek at what goes into your favorite author's books, as well as a quickie read into the books you might not have found yet. Writers, come and get tips and tricks from awesome authors and learn how I'm facing the road ahead to publication. If you love books, come to Tail Chasing. T-A-L-E-C-H-A-S-I-N-G dot com. Now, let's get back to the conversation with David Annandale. 
I actually want to redirect the the, the focus of the discussion uh, to a, to another topic, uh, one that's that's very near and dear to my heart, and that is the the topic of collaboration. Uh, and and David, you've I mean, obviously, with with dozens of novels in the Warhammer 40k universe, uh, you're no stranger to working in a in this in an established story world that you then need to integrate with uh, uh, in some way. Now, you obviously had read several of the books before you you submitted uh, Carrie and Anthem to them, but did you? <sighs> What, what advice do you have for, for other authors who are looking at, like, say, the Pathfinder universe or Black Library or any others in terms of preparing uh, a, a tale to integrate with an existing story universe? Well, uh, I think the I've, – I've seen it uh, mentioned before that uh, you, you need to have a, a genuine uh, excitement for the universe that you're writing for okay. uh, and, and, and a respect for it. And, and the work that is being done in it. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I, I think any any purely, at least I would certainly advise against any purely mercenary approach, like, oh, I'm going to write uh, a story for this kind of thing and uh, uh, and, and just view the other work as, as a kind of mechanical uh, supplier of information. Uh, it, mm-hmm. this, is, this is the world that you want to become part of uh, that... Again, there has to be, a, at least I feel, a, a genuine love and respect for this universe w- w- of whatever particular universe that we're talking about. Sure. I, I have a question about that. Um, with the, the Warhammer 40K, was that something um, before you started writing? Did you play the game or did you get into it through the books? I came to, into it through the books. Uh, I, I, have, I started playing afterwards, and I'm, I'm a very bad player. <laughs> I, I, I'm really awful at it. I have a mentor, uh, my friend Dave Villalago, who's been playing it so long, he still has the original White Dwarf that announced the, the game. Oh, my God. Uh, so, yeah. He, so, uh, but, of course, when I play against him, I'm, I'm annihilated uh, every, every time. Uh, I'm also death with dice, which is uh, when, when I'm when I'm running a, a role playing game, my players love it because whatever I roll is going to benefit them. But as a as, as a player playing against somebody else, that dooms me to to inevitable <laughs> defeat. But yeah, I, I came to it uh, from from the books first, uh, and uh, that was uh, well. And I, in fact, I bought a copy of the rules before I played it, just because the book was so beautiful, uh, and I, I loved the the illustrations and the and the lore that was being described in there. Sure. Well, and that started as as it was. It wasn't uh, Warhammer 40k. It began as Warhammer, just Warhammer, right? It was it was a yeah. fantasy. There's uh, well, there the, yeah, the, there's the two branches. There's Warhammer Fantasy that came first, and then uh, just over 25 years ago now, Warhammer 40,000, and they both lines still exist. Yes, absolutely. Although I I think it's safe to say that Warhammer 40k uh, uh, is is rocking loud and hard uh, out there. And and just in a geekish moment of question, do you have painted? Have you painted your minis? Uh, yeah, there too. I'm, I'm, you know, my uh, let's see, my artistic skills. Um, you know, as, as I guess as a painter, I make a good writer. Uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, again, I, I I've been helped uh, making sure that my Space Marines don't look like Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight. Oh dear. Uh, but I, you know, they're 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 serviceable. Uh, I, yeah. I think uh, on you know, if 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 I'm if I'm taking a charitable approach. Uh, so, and I've also been been collecting the figures of, of characters that I write about. So I haven't actually got an Imperial Guard army, but I have to have my Yarrick figure. And <laughs> of course Gaskell's you do. Gaskell's Maka and uh, all that stuff. You need, you need action figures for those guys. Something something posable that you can put up in front <laughs> of your desk there. Um, David, I 
in in all of my research of, of what you were doing, uh, uh, I didn't get anything that you were role playing. What what just out of curiosity, what what role playing games are you are you uh, do you ref? Uh, D and D, specifically uh, first edition advanced. Okay. So I, I still have my uh, my books from high school. You, you've got the book that has the the, the, the adventurers prying the ruby eye out of the yep. idol, don't you? Doc? Yes, I do. That's, yeah, that's yeah. old school. That's hardcore, dude. Yeah. So just uh, just started uh, running a uh, one of those campaigns a few years ago. Uh, though I have to say, I've heard so many wonderful things about Fifth Edition that uh, I, I picked up the Player's Handbook to. Uh, as the first time I've bought uh, an edition other than the first, <laughs> uh, so I needed to to check this out and. Um, I've just been not as a as a referee, but as a player. Um, Fred Keish has been uh, running uh, Call of Cthulhu uh, recently, so I've been playing that on Skype with the campaign that he's running, and that's been a lot of fun. See, I was expecting that as the, as the story, as the, as the role playing game that you were running. I wasn't well, expecting. I, I did run that back in high school. <laughs> okay, good. <Whew. laughs> My anticipations are validated. Outstanding. Now, so you've you've got a background in role playing, uh, and and clearly the the the. the the, the love of the fiction as well. Um, so, so the ubiquitous question, uh, how do you feel, do you feel that your role-playing experiences have infected your writing? And, and if so, how? Um, very good question. Um, well, in, in the sense of an ongoing project, there, there's been a, um, an effect in that the, uh, the campaign that I've been running in D&D, I've been setting it in a world that I've been working on for a, a fantasy project, this side project of mine, and uh, as a way of, of moving my players through the world that I've been building and sort of learning, the, you know, the, uh, it, it's an imperfect match because I'm cutting and pasting all sorts of monsters that are not going to be in, in my own work, but uh, it's a way of learning what the players want to know about the world and hence the readers and that sort of generating ideas for myself that way as far as the you know, characters and settings and uh, how the how the world is going to work. So there's been a kind of uh, synergy uh, in that regard. As far as with writing uh, the, the Warhammer Forty Thousand, there, uh, of course, since it's not a role-playing game, right. it's uh, th- there's a different uh, relationship between the uh, the game and uh, and and the fiction. And I remember uh, one of the uh, the earlier stories I, I wrote for them. Um, uh, my editor on that story, uh, Nick Kime, rightly uh, took me to task on a battle scene, which he pointed out read too much like a battle report. It read like a game. Oh, okay. uh, and uh, you know, I'd been sort of looking clearly. I'd been looking too closely at the stats between the different types of characters that were there, and had let that get in the way at that <laughs> moment of actually writing the story. Uh, and so that was. Uh, I, for me, a very salutary moment and and a reminder of the you know the the importance of of the the story and and the craft of it, uh, first and foremost. Sure, sure. Well, and I, I think that's I think that's you know role playing games, miniatures games, and role playing games in general can certainly inform the craft. But I think it's a, like as you observed, it's a two edged sword. Uh, yeah. It's it's all too easy to get wrapped up in the minutia and and the details uh, and forget that 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 storyteller's heart. Uh, that needs to be at the core of everything. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Very cool. Absolutely. Very cool. Um, one of the interviews I read with you when I was doing my homework, um, you had put three books out back to back at the beginning of 2013 and you teach full time. How do you balance your time <laughs> to get it's, 
so much done. <laughs> it's been a challenge. Uh, th- and this year, even more so, uh, I'm currently writing my fourth novel of 2014. Holy and, smokes. Uh, so it's been, uh, it, it's been really busy and, uh, I, it, I guess the, the short answer, uh, the glib answer to your question is uh, unevenly <laughs> as far as finding the, the balance is concerned and, and uh, the, a few too many 3 a.m. nights. Uh, I am getting better at that. Uh, in, in, I mean, ultimately, it comes down to being able to you know, focus, right? And you know, the, the, the eternal plague, I think, that we all wrestle with. Oh, there's just I got to refresh Twitter one more time and see what's going on there. <laughs> uh, just sort of knuckling down and, and, and getting the job done. I have found that deadlines uh, to uh, steal a phrase um, like executions concentrate the mind wonderfully. <laughs> and uh, so that you know, ultimately the, the job has to get done. Both jobs have to get done. And so you find the way to do it uh, while still remembering, oh, yeah, and, you know, incidentally, you know, you're supposed to – you, you have a family. <laughs> so, uh, you know, be, be a good human being first. How about a clean socks? Yeah. <laughs> well, and Jenny, thank you for raising that point, actually. Uh, David, one thing that I've always found to be true is if you want to learn something, teach it. And I'm, I'm curious if in your years of teaching uh, – has has that taught you anything about your own craft and and if so what oh well i think it has whether i could point to a specific thing and say oh yeah i remember this came about because of x <laughs> uh it'd be it'd be really hard to say it i mean it, it, there is a um I, I think there is a uh, sort of a mutually reinforcing element, right? That mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I, it's uh, I love being in the classroom. The when the the, the discussion is is sparking, that uh, uh, you know that can give me food for thought and ideas to think about later on. Uh, so some of it also applies to sometimes perhaps more nonfiction writing, right? So mm-hmm. that okay. uh, the, 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 my, my research feeds into my teaching. The uh, the stuff the students bring up feedback, and oh yeah, I should look at this. I mean the um, a couple of uh, summers ago, uh, I did a course on Breaking Bad, and one of my students pointed out that uh, there was a very, uh, very much a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde um, aspect to the um, to the series. And the more we looked at that, the more we looked at that, the more we saw of it. Right? And, yeah. Uh, it, and and s- s- the more I thought about that since then, I've been thinking, wow. I mean, they really this that show uh, gets uh, skates right up to the edge of the fantastic. Uh, in a way that that we that it might not be immediately visible at first glance, but if you think about the, I mean, he has essentially his supervillain costume when he puts his hat on and becomes Heisenberg. He even has an underground lair for crying out loud uh, for for much of of the series. So uh, you know, it has this aura of quote unquote realism, uh, but is is a much more fantastic tale than something like The yeah. Wire. You know, and and there and even the superhero vibe as well with the the secret identity and yeah. and yeah. you know the superpowers that he seemed to manifest when he donned the hat and glasses and became Heisenberg. He, right, he was a badass. He is, so, and or if we view that as Hyde, right, which becomes, right. He, he becomes addicted to the transformation, and eventually Heisenberg starts showing up when he doesn't want him to. So when he um uh. Uh, the the I believe it's the the scene where he, uh, the I am the one who knocks scene. Right. 
Mm. He's stark naked in that scene. <laughs> uh, he's not wearing the costume. Yeah. Uh, and Heisenberg has surfaced. So the ultimately we see he, perhaps more and more Heisenberg is the is uh, it, it's uh, it's Walt that's the mask. Heisenberg that's the reality. Oh God. Mm. Oh man. Okay. Now we need to have you back, David, to just do a, a Breaking Bad episode <laughs> and just yeah. work on that. That's awesome. Um, guys, I, I hate to say it, but but my my clock has has sprouted powered armor uh, uh, and some sort of chain bolt gun, and it's aiming it at me. So I I, I can only assume that means that our, our our twenty minutes are up, which is a, a deep disappointment. But uh, David, thank you so much uh, uh, for for taking the time to share to share some of your thoughts with us. I, I, I we really appreciate it. This has been great. Oh, it's been a wonderful uh, experience for me. Jenny, what are, you, what are you taking away from this 20 minutes worth of, of, of writerly goodness? Is there anything that pops out at you that just says, wow, I'm, I'm putting that in my pocket? I really like, you know, love listening to him talk about how he balanced his time, the 3 a.m.s. <laughs> I mean, you know, as somebody who, who writes full time and edits, you know, in between, it's nice to hear how other people balance their time. Absolutely. And, and a, vi- a vital writerly skill, uh, mm. as, as I think we all <laughs> discover at some point, time management needs to be right up at the top with, with good vocabulary. Yes. Uh, so. And he's so productive. So it's, it's, it's really nice Indeed. to hear how he does that. <laughs> it, it's it's got to be nice, David, to have the word prolific tacked on next to your name. It, it, it is nice. It's also been nice in the, the last, I have to, the, what's been uh, particularly nice for me in the last years, there have been fewer of the 3 a.m. nights, so I think I'm getting better at it. <laughs> awesome. Excellent. As you should. You know, if you're not if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. So by all <laughs> means. For, for me, it was it was the, the discussion about the uh, the parasitic nature, the rhizome nature of horror. Uh, uh, and that has that has long been a, a point, you know, certainly nerds get into the discussion about this about uh, aliens and is it a horror movie? Is it a sci-fi movie? And uh, that discussion really kind of changes the way I look at any any chilling piece of fiction, whether I choose to write it or or read it. Uh, you, you yeah, I've been infected with this idea, and and who knows where that's going to go. But that's that's freaking awesome, Jenny. Before we sign out, uh, uh, I know some of our listeners may not know know who you are. So just very quickly, where can they find you on the web, and and what awesomeness can they expect to find there? Uh, you can find me on my website at jennifermelzer.com. And actually, on Tuesday, I've got a new book coming out, uh, the second book in my Serpent of Time series, Sorrow's Peak. So be on the lookout for that. Sweet. Stay tuned, friends. There's good stuff there. And David, you're at davidannandale.com. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Awesome. And on Twitter, at David underscore Annandale. Yes, very good. And and as I mentioned, he's a great Twitter friend. So, so by all means, follow that guy. And stay tuned to the awesomeness that's coming out through that feed. So, so friends, this has been fabulous, but it just gets better because in one week's time, we're going to have David back and we're going to sit down with a guest writer and we are going to take that, that aesthetic that has been honed through years of academic and practical application and we're going to hone that onto a story brainstorm session that I prognose I'm donning my profit garb now I predict is going to be fabulous so but that's a week away uh so geez Jennifer what what do you think they should our listeners should be doing in that week between now and then I think they should go right oh yeah see Brian your legacy lives on thank you Jenny you rock 
<laughs> and friends, I will tell you by all means, you find what you're looking for. So, so set your sights on something fabulous, something awesome, something splendid and wrapped in bright paper with ribbons and bows. And I promise you, friends, if you look for it, you will find it. We will be back in a week with an awesome brainstorming session. Until then, you guys stay cool, be frosty, be awesome, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode is copyright 2014 by the Roundtable Podcast and released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable Podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown. Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at writerspodcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.